Hey everyone, welcome to an episode of All Elite Talking. My name is George, I'm the host of the show here. For anyone that's new, welcome on board. It's great to have you listen to the podcast. Now, when you looked at the podcast, you probably thought, hey, why is there two episodes, but they're both a month apart? Well, as I explained on my last podcast I put out on the update, when I started the podcast, it was at a time where I just wanted to get out there and start again talking about the world. But logistically, at home, I was in the process of moving into a new room in a house to have a more dedicated space for office and to be able to do podcasts rather than my dining room table. And I was also having some time off of work and going to music festivals, which would have smack bang been in the middle of the Dynamite Reviews and actually from seeing what the hotel Wi-Fi was like just from trying to access Google, I would not have got an episode out there to you guys anyway. So yeah, that's why there's quite a big space there. Also thought it was quite a good timing that the week after I come back, we've got Dynamite, we've got the debut of Collision, and then we've got Forbidden Door coming up in the next couple of weeks as well. So lots to crack on with and lots to go over. But this week we're covering AEW Dynamite, 14th of June 2023 and bloody hell what an episode that was especially that ending which I'm, I'm just gonna flip this on its head and just start right at the end we knew that Kenny was away for a bit of time and many people were expecting Kenny to come back with Kota Ibushi we saw all of the stuff that was going on with Don Callis and with Kanosuke Tetsuta and then out of nowhere we had a return from Eddie Kingston who came in to attack Claudio and then right at the end, Will Ospreay, if the rest wasn't enough for you. So lots to go over there. But first of all, just wanted to talk about that match. The BCC, Blackpool Combat Club, versus the Elite. Now, straight away, what I wanted to get to is the Elite with Hangman in either the trio's form or all four of them. Just makes it so fresh for me, which I know it might be a really weird thing to say, given that it's been quite fresh for some people from not to be with the elite. But actually, I was growing a little bit bored or a little bit stale of Kenny and the Bucks together. And I love those guys. I really do. But there was just something about the act that felt like it needed freshened up a little bit for me. And putting Hangman in there has been actually really, really great with that. And this dynamic that he had with those guys and going into the match with the BCC and the dynamic he had with Moxley and the little feud he had going on there, the Bucks with Wheelie Utah, with Claudio, it was great. And I thought, okay, here we go, a trios match. You can do one of two things here. It's either going to be real balls to the wall, everything going on all at once, or it could be a bit more of a violent affair. And I think we got the, the first on that, the everything everywhere all at once and everyone attacking everyone and getting involved and it was a great match loved it it was a great main event great way to end dynamite and i was really happy with how it went it continues the storyline of the elite versus the bcc i think with this we are getting to a stage where we are going to see a blood and guts match and i think that's what it's leading up to but as this feud's been going along and you've had You've had Mox and Hangman doing some bits and then you've had Keddy doing some bits with the Bucks and then Don Callis has been in there as well, introduced them to Kester into things. There's a lot going on with this story and a lot of moving parts to keep up with and go, okay, so when are we going to get an answer on this and why is this? And it's been quite good seeing how it's been going on and I think everyone knew coming into this match, this was a match that the Elite had to win to keep things going, keep it on the right direction. So yeah, the match itself was great. 
I so want to see Claudio versus Adam Page after this now. Like, I just think these two guys could do such a great job against each other. It would be a real hard-hitting kind of match. So that would be a great match to see as well. Hangman versus Mox was amazing. I don't like death matches at all normally. But what they put out there actually felt great and felt like for as violent as it was, it all made sense. So I really like the work that those guys did as well. What I'm also loving is seeing Wheelie uh, week on week, just the way he's improving. And when I say improving, he's always been great in the ring, but the character and charisma he's building around himself, he's not the greatest in those scenarios by any stretch of the imagination, but he's getting better and you can see the improvements and working along those sorts of guys, he's going to get those improvements every week. So just seeing him be that cocky, more self-assured kind of guy, great. Going through the match, something that I noticed, and others might have picked up on this way before me, but obviously Danielson was again doing commentary. And at first I was like, why is Danielson doing commentary? Like, is he the spokesperson for the group now? And actually as I'm going through, I'm thinking about, yeah, he is. He's taking the Regal role now. Regal used to go on commentary every week and talk about things. And as great a talker as Moxley is, I think Danielson's the right guy for it because Moxley plays this unhinged kind of psychopath and a very cold, calculated way. Danielson does it in almost like a bit of an evil, sadistic kind of way. And that's what I really like. So hearing the way he's talking, he's got some great comedy timing as well with bits, which will make you laugh, just the sheer absurdness of what he's saying. So yeah, I thought that was really, really good. Then we came to the end of the match. Obviously, the Young Bucks and Hangman pick up the win and it was a great way to end it with the double teaming on Wheeler and then the Buckshot Lariat being hit. We get the three count, great stuff. And then that's when it all starts going to shit at the end. So the fight's not over and Eddie Kingston comes down to just beat the shit out of Claudio. That's his goal, that's his aim. And for those who've obviously looked back at the history of those guys, right up until I think it was Last Blood and Guts, you had Claudio who was get, trying to get the submission. You had Eddie Kingston who was trying to get the submission. And Claudio managed to get the win. And that's been a feud, almost competitive feud in some ways. Now, I'll be up front. I haven't watched ROH, so I don't know how much that's then increased to a full-on feud. But I think these guys are still doing something that's getting put on AEW television now. And you're not going to hear any complaints from me. I don't think we need to be limiting Eddie Kingston to Ring of Honor. I think Eddie Kingston on Dynamite and collision going forward is the right thing as well he can certainly go on those other shows but i don't think he should be limited to them so that was great to see and then you've got Takeshita and don Callis beginning involved and then battle cry starts and kenny comes running out and then that's starting to even things up and it's great seeing kenny there but we're like okay so kenny's back but is kota Ibushi with him because that's what everyone thought this was going towards was that kenny was away speaking to his friend, getting his back up. And then as that's going on and he's celebrating, yeah, Will Ospreay appear out of nowhere and just give him a kick and get a bit violent with him. And that's how we end the show. We ended the show with Will Ospreay standing tall after hitting another hidden blade on Kenny. So great way. It was overbooked to hell. Like really, really, really overbooked. Like this huge overbooked kind of match. And then at the end it was bang, this person's back, bang, this person's back. Oh, and also, this person's here now as well. Did a great job building up the feud between the VCC and the Elite. 
did a great job at building up the feud between Kenny and Don Callis, even though that is in the Elite feud as well. Did a great job at building up Kingston versus Claudio. And then you've got Will Ospreay in there as well, so it's building up their Forbidden Door 2 match. So a lot of stuff going on, a lot of different story threads all overlapping with each other. And I thought it was really great the way they handled it all and brought it back together. So yeah, that gets a big thumbs up from me and a great way to end this Dynamite. So then let's go through the rest of the cards. So kicking us off was Adam Cole versus MJF in a world title eliminator match. Now, this has been an interesting thing and I see a lot of discourse around on social media and you know me, my, my goal is to try and balance the positivity and try and look at things while also when I'm just not feeling something, talking about that, but doing it in a constructive way rather than trying to be the toxic IWC that we hear around quite a lot. And one of the things I hear a lot about is the, are these title eliminators and whether or not they're actually needed. And I'm not sure where I stand on it right now. I don't think it's something which is overused by AEW. And I understand it when we're now in a scenario where we don't have a ranking system. So I loved the ranking system. I thought it was a great way of doing things that actually felt like things mattered. But I also get that the drawbacks that you have from that, as I'm going to call it, the FTR issue, where you have to protect someone and they keep getting wins and wins and wins and they are top of your ranking system and they don't get the title shot and they just don't get it. It almost makes your rankings look a little silly because if your top team aren't getting a shot but everyone else is, why aren't they? So yeah, I can understand why it's been removed. Now the title eliminator matches beforehand, it made sense, well sorry, it didn't make sense for a world title match if we've got the ranking system in place. It felt like it didn't make sense for the TNT title because we were having the open challenges. Maybe for the international title, you could have done something like that. So yeah, they did feel a little bit silly before. Now, I'm still not sure where I stand on them. I think I need to see how often they get used going forward. But when it's a case of a world champion being almost baited into a match by someone, having the eliminator going, okay, well, if you can beat me, then you'll get the match. I don't mind that so much. I don't, as long as it's not used as a crutch, I don't mind it. Because that's what Adam Cole did here. He, the week before, he got on the microphone, started running down MJF. MJF started back at him. But Cole got so into his head that MJF was like, tell me when you want the match. And he said, next week. So Cole played mind games with him and he got the match. But it didn't give him the advantage straight away. It's still a champion's advantage there because MJF, has to lose for Adam Cole to get the title shot. So then we get to the match itself and great way to kick off Dynamite. Really great way to kick off Dynamite. It always feels like something big. When you've got a match like this to start with, you think, okay, well, what is the ending of the show going to be if this is what I'm kicking off with? And they ran the full 30 minutes, which I thought was ambitious as anything to do, but it was really good. Really enjoyed the match. And I think it's a surprise to no one, or it should be a surprise to no one by now, that MJF puts on a bloody great match. The guy doesn't get enough credit for how good he is actually in the ring. Because he wrestles so infrequently, people forget how good he actually is. But I love watching the guy in the ring, love watching what he does. Really, really underrated. And he's against Adam Cole, so you know he's going to have a good match. And I thought this was a really good match. 
First of all, I thought it was definitely Adam Cole's best match in AEW today. The stuff that he's been doing with Jericho recently hasn't been bad. The, um, the Lights Out match that he had with Jericho I thought was okay, but bored me a little bit. Need to go back and do a rewatch. I thought his involvement in the Arena Brawl match with Jericho was really fun and really what great way to build it up. But Roderick Strong and Jericho actually surpassed Adam Cole and Jericho in terms of what I was looking for and what I thought would be a good match. Coming into this, I was wondering how it would be. And yeah, both guys played their part. Did really, really well. Great way to start off Dynamite. Now, one thing that I didn't like about it, and I noticed as we were going through the match, was Justin Roberts could be heard saying how long was left. Now, I know this is a thing that AEW have done in the past. And I don't know if it's just me not hearing it before or not, or if they only do it at a certain point. But I feel every time I hear this, it's almost telegraphing that we're going to a draw. And I was sitting watching with my wife, and as soon as I heard him say that, I went, we're going to a draw. And she said, how do you know that? And I said, well, I can hear Justin Roberts saying how long's left. And it felt to me, before when this has been done, it's being done for the benefit of the live crowd, so that when they hear that, they can be teed up that, oh, this might be a draw, and they don't immediately boo en masse when the match doesn't conclude with a winner. So that was a bit of foreshadowing for me that I saw come in and was a bit of a shame, but I understand that you've got this match, you don't want to pin Adam Cole, but you don't want to pin MJF and commit to the match the following week or whenever it is, and then have Adam Cole be pinned by MJF. This feels like very much a one and done, you're baiting me into it, you're going to have the match and we're done. Or at least that's what I hope we are now. This feels like something that can be addressed further in the future. So the match itself, yeah, really, really great. I thought MJF knocking the hat off the guy in the crowd. Is this really still needed? Unless that guy's a plant, I just think it opens them up to so many more issues than is necessary. We were at a stage before where it was quite cute almost, oh MJF's doing this with the crowd or he's doing that. We all know to expect it, the crowd's all in on the game now and I think that's the stage where it kind of loses that edgy, if it was ever edgy, but edgy, funny, cool kind of, oh look what he's doing, look how he's pushing the envelope this week. We could get to a stage now where it's not really adding anything to what's happening on the screen and what if someone isn't wet and just turns around and leathers him one day. You don't want someone punching him one day over this. Absolutely not. There was a great elbow drop spot off the top rope. I thought that worked really well. And you kind of get to the finish of the match. So there was a bit where MJF pulls the belt out once the referee's down. And he chucks it to Adam Cole and he drops down like he's been hurt. And Cole keeps holding on to it. And I'm sitting there screaming at the TV just going... Drop the belt, drop the belt, drop the belt. Thinking, why are you holding it for as long as you are? It just felt stupid. But then you saw the way Bryce was moving around on the mat. And you saw Adam Cole looking and going, ah. He realises that Bryce isn't going to get up. And he can use the belt to get the advantage. So that I thought was really good. It kind of still shows that, hey, he's not above cheating. If it gets him the right result, especially against someone like MJF. By the same token, he did show that intelligence to wait to see what was happening with the referee. So I thought that worked well. And then we got to the finish of the match, which I thought was just heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. They timed it to perfection and just had it. So just as it was about to hit the three, the bell went. And I think what that did really well, 
is Adam Cole won, and I use quotes, won the match. He had it in the bag, he won the match, but he didn't get the three count, so he doesn't have the win, technically. The rules of the eliminator match are that you have to beat the champion to earn a title match. He didn't beat the champion. He had him beat, but he didn't beat him. So you don't have Adam Cole losing. You actually have him look quite strong in defeat. You've got MJF coming out of it without a real actual loss. So you don't have to go down that route. And it just made you feel really heartbroken. And then at the end, you had Adam Cole five more minutes. And everyone thought, great, here we go. We're going to get an end to this match. And then Jeff was just then Jeff went, nope. Great. Absolutely great. Now... What I really hope happens here is that we do something very un-AEW. And in a good way, it would be great if that's it. If they go their separate ways now. Maybe have a promo or something next week if you want to, but go their separate ways. He's had his shot. It's done. That's it. What I think this can then do is it can then set up down the line, building up to another match against MJF. A bigger match, a pay-per-view main event maybe. I think it's too early to do at Wembley. I think Adam Cole is on his way to being established as one of the top baby faces. And I mean, he is, but by the same token, I think AEW feels a little bit weak on that side. You don't have that top, top level. Adam Cole is someone that will be at that top, top level. And he's certainly one of the biggest in the companies that stands. But you've also got Hangman, who even Hangman, I feel, still needs a little bit more to just get him there. So build those guys up, get them to the stage so that at the end of the year, if we are looking at, you know, we've done the Casino Battle Royal, I think it was, for the poker chip that could be cashed in. Or you can build up to a special dynamite or collision where Adam Cole gets the match. And if you want to, if you are really looking at having MJF drop the title just before he goes into 2024, then you could have Adam Cole take the title off him at the end of the year. And I think, if I remember rightly, the last collision of the year is... Something like the day before New Year's Eve. So you could really run it close up to that point. What I do wonder is where Adam Cole goes now. And honestly, I have no idea. I normally have an inkling going, I think he could go here or I think he could get involved with this. Right now, I don't. So I'm really keen next week to have a look at what happens. Interested to see what happens with him for Forbidden Door. I don't know if he's going to even compete because obviously last time at Forbidden Door, that's when we got the issue come up and... Maybe that strong style kind of match. It might just not be the right time for him with that right now. So let's see what happens there. I wouldn't be against Adam Cole not competing at Forbidden Door. We've got our two big matches for that show. Do we need to risk him at this stage? If we do have Adam Cole in a match, maybe a multi-man match, maybe a tag team match, him and Roderick Strong going for the IWGP tag team titles or have some kind of multi-man match. From there, we go straight into a promo video, and I was like, mm, what's this going to be? And then you start to see the Chicago landmarks and realize what it is straight away. CM Punk, really, really well produced video, just the shots, the color palette of the video, the music that they put on in the background, and even the way Punk has just made himself look that slightly more grizzled again. He's shaved his beard down, his hair's down. Punk means business, and he said, I've got unsettled scores. That's why I came to AW in the first place. I've still got that going on now. I don't know what I'm going to say till I've got a live microphone in my hand. So it's building up to Saturday collision. No one knows what he's going to say. Everyone's speculating. Do we think we're going to get a work with the elite? Do we think he's just going to go to business for himself? 
I don't know. And I know people now really are divided by punk. I am a massive punk fan. He's probably top two, top three favourites for me of all time. And I've been on the punk train since 2004. So I've always been a fan of the guy and really enjoy him. He's been very polarising this last year. I understand why. I might not like the way he's gone about some bits. But then I also don't claim to know the whole story either. I love all of the guys involved in that situation. What I do hope comes out of it is that we can get a stage where all of the guys can work together, whether that's actually working together in a programme or just working together in the same company. That's what I really want to happen. What I want to say to CM Punk, do not fuck up being able to come to Wembley. I've got tickets. I really want to see CM Punk at Wembley. Only time I've ever seen CM Punk live was some random 2009 Raw. And all I can remember from it was a match with Kane that they reshot the ending because it didn't go the way they wanted it to. And that's that's all I remember from it. Really want Punk at Wembley in a great spot on the card. So yeah, Punk, please do not let me down. But yeah, really looking forward to the match with FTR versus Samoa Joe and Bullet Club Gold. I've already ordered my CMFTR t-shirt. It's one of my favourite wrestlers of all time. It's one of my favourite tag teams of all time. And it's done in Bright Heart style. So how can you not want that t-shirt? Then we move on to the next section, which was Sammy Guevara coming out. And Sammy was wearing the daddest of all shirts that you could ever imagine. I could imagine him sitting down saying to his kid, right, it's time for the talk now. He just looked like this really clean cut kind of guy, responsible guy. And he even hinted at a face turn by saying he has to look at some of his choices that he makes. We then get Darby Allen come out. And I just think these two bounce off each other really well. And in the Four Pillars story, I actually really liked the begrudging respect that was building between these two. Especially with the way that Sammy was getting slightly more of a face turn against MJF. And what I really liked was Sammy wasn't shown to be this dumb idiot. He knew what was going on. He was a bit streetwise, a bit smart. So really loved how these two interacted. Then we get Jericho come out and Jericho just looking all 80s rock star comes out and says to Sammy, why didn't you call me? He said, while you're doing that for three months, you didn't even bother calling me. He said, I could have gotten you my help. You could have been AEW world champion now. And I thought that was really good because actually it makes sense If you are Chris Jericho and that's one of your friends, why would your friend not get in contact with you and say, hey, how do I reach the top here? He's literally the first guy to have done it in AEW. How do I reach the top here? So I think that was a a really good point. And like I said, all good heels are grounded in truth. And then I loved how Jericho started playing on the power dynamic between the two of them, telling him, remember who you work for. So he's gone from friends to almost say, actually, I'm the boss here. You're my employee. So it's building up into that. Darby Allen gets some great lines in there. And he said to Jericho, I thought you were a wizard because the magic's all gone in the ring. And Jericho says, well, how about the sex gods versus you next week? And he said, I didn't come alone. Sting comes out and we get a stare down Sting and Jericho. Now, I don't think we're going to get a one-on-one match between Sting and Jericho. Absolutely not. And, you know, that's the right decision. I know Sting doesn't want to do 
one-on-one -on -one matches anymore. He only wants to do tag matches. Where I thought we were going with Sting, if you asked me a month ago, was Sting and Derby versus Sammy and Jericho at Wembley in a retirement match. So you could almost believe that if Jericho loses, he retires. If Sting loses, he retires. Now I think we might either be going to a tag match, but potentially a trios match. And I could see Sting, Darby and Sammy versus Jericho. Then probably Jake and Daniel Garcia. That's where I see that going, unless he brings in someone else to the Jericho Appreciation Society. But I think that would be a good match for Wembley. It's a trios match. It protects the people we need. Gets more people on the card as well. And it gets to the stage where somehow either you have Sting lose, so he retires, or you have the team win, but Sting still retiring. But who knows what's going on there. But that's where I think we go with that. I think Sammy Guevara is now or never for him as a babyface. They've tried the Sammy experiment a few times. He didn't quite catch on. I think now, after the success of AW All Access, me being one of Sammy's biggest detractors of just not feeling what he was doing the last seven months or so, watching that, seeing how he was in the story with MJF, I think they were relying too much on people being grossed out by him and Ty. Like, that's what I think they were doing. They were trying too much of that. And while people aren't always going to go, oh, I don't like it because of that. When you get, oh, it's just too much. Like, it's not needed. I think you just grow apathetic because it's not a character. And that's what it was for me. They they weren't making me hate the guy. They were just trying to make me go, oh, look, look at this, look at this. So I think they did a disservice to him there. But I think with these shows, they've done a really great job at bringing that back around. So looking forward to seeing where that goes. We then had Sonada doing an open challenge, and this is going to be an interesting one, and we see where this goes throughout the night. But Sonada, he's one of those names that when you think of New Japan, he's probably, unless you're really watching week in, week out, or event in, event out, he's someone you either know of, but don't think of as one of the top guys, and he's someone they've obviously tried pushing. I've never really seen much of Sonada since he's been put in the main event scene. This will be a really good match to get him that exposure. I think that's where this sort of event works really, really well for New Japan as much as it does for AEW. It allows him to be seen and when he comes over to the US, he's seen as that biggest star because he's been on AEW TV, he's been a world champion. All of that stuff that goes into it hopefully just increases his star value. Then we come back to the Mogul Embassy versus Sting, Darby, Orange Cassidy and Keith Lee. Now, this was okay, All right? It started off really well in with the guys diving out the ring and all of that sort of stuff that was going into it. I thought Darby had some good bits in there. I thought Keith Lee, he had a great spot where he was receiving a powerbomb and the Mogul Embassy just looked really badass in a way they lifted him up and got swerved to stomp him down. I thought Brian Cage looked straight out of the 80s and in the best way possible. The guy who just looked, he was jacked, he's got the mohawk, the face pain. I know he was trying to do Sting, but it just looked so cool. And I kind of want to see it every week a little bit. But yeah, they everyone did their part well. It just lacked something for me. 
Now, I'm going to be controversial here, and this is where I might sound like I'm being a bit of a hater when I don't mean to be. Keith Lee, what has happened? Like, <sighs> Keith Lee in WWE was one of my favourites. When Keith Lee got signed, he was one of my biggest hopes for AEW. Now, did I see him as an AEW world champion? No. Keith is someone that I could see being an AEW world champion if he was booked right. But with everything he'd gone through, I could see why when he was brought in, he was put in a tag team with Swerve. And those guys were great together. Honestly, what a great, great, great tag team. Since their split, it just feels like Swerve is treading water and Keith is doing nothing at all. But what I've also think as well with Keith is he had a bit of a cool factor to him and now he doesn't. Like I've got no problem with the whole being natural as far as hair colour goes and all of that. Like it obviously it does age him a bit. It really does. Um the guy's the same age as me, so again, uh, <laughs> a little bit of a later thirties, but it does age him and I always thought with the dark hair and the goatee it it looked quite cool. You don't need that, but at the same time, I think as in the wizard's cloak, that just doesn't feel like this cool guy. It also doesn't go with the music. Just the presentation of Keith Lee just feels wildly off in lots of different directions. And that doesn't help in how I'm meant to care about him. But also in terms of stories, I don't understand why I'm supposed to still care about him as well as feuding. I really don't. This should have been over months ago. We should have had the match that got us there. We should have had it at the pay-per-view that's just happened and not put them in the multi-man match. One-on-one, -on -one blow-off match, cage match, whether it's on Dynamite, on pay-per-view, I don't care. We just need it to be done now because Swerve is just caught up in all of this and I never thought saying Swerve versus Keith Lee would be a negative. I thought this was going to absolutely bang, as the kids say. Like, you've got two guys who are great on the microphone, who carry themselves well, who are great in the ring. Yeah, it's it's just treading water, and as I've, I've got my notes, it's dead in the water. They need to revive it. If they're going to do it, revive it quickly and get it done, and then move both guys on. Speaking of moving on, I think we're now at the stage where we need to move to the end game of Orange Cassidy's title reign. I think the guy's done a great, great, great job with it. When it first came out and everyone was thinking, what's this belt for? What's it going to achieve? And it looked like a carbon copy of the TNT title in some ways. So to see what Pac was doing with it, first of all, was great. It's always felt like it was the belt that was brought in because there needed to be a belt for Pac and for Orange Cassidy. That's honestly what it's felt like. The TNT title always felt like it was busy. The world title was just a reach too much for them. So this was your belt for Pac and for Orange Cassidy. And with Pac going and doing the whole touring champion thing, I really do think there's a missed opportunity there to have done this with Orange Cassidy. I think you could have sent him out to do some Rev Pro shows, to do some shows in different countries. You don't have to do the full-on touring in the way Pac was doing. But I think saying to people that take this title... For as long as you have it, we're going to need to do some of this with you. And just, you can either promote it, you can have Rev Pro promote it, or you could have them say, 
something's coming up tonight or even just say nothing and have the match just happen on the literally on the night have it happen and you're creating a bit of a buzz around the scene and rev pro got really strong links with new japan a lot of new japan young boys come out on tour here so the most recent one was yota tsuji had the great okan was here as well so a lot of guys do come over here on an excursion so to have Orange Cassidy come here, it just feels like it would have made sense. And I think that that's a missed trick. But the run that they've had with it has been great. And the story now, just saying how tired Orange Cassidy is and how beat up he's getting, I think they need to have it in their mind who they want to beat because whoever beats him is going to get a huge rub from it and then have a really good run. But yeah, it's one of those things where I go, it's great and it's fine, but... I would say within the next month, month and a half tops, we really need to have taken the title off him and put it on someone new. My pick for it was going to be initially either Takeshita, who I still think now that he's a heel could do that. I think that would be a good one to take off Cassidy. It would get him a good bump up. And the other one was Swerve. And I honestly thought when he had his match against Swerve, that was going to be it. And Swerve was taking the title. Those would be my options for it. You could still go back to Swerve, have him take it, and then have him and Keith feud over the title to end their feud. But I think they're just too far past that now. But overall, it was okay. A few bits going on here, but just made me a little bit sad for the people involved in the match in some ways. The guns were up next, and they were just doing usual cocky heel stuff, saying they're the best brother tag team in AEW and challenging the Hardys. It makes sense. Um, the guys are smooth in the ring. They're not going to blow you away. They're not the greatest by any stretch of imagination. can see why they were given the tag team title run that they were given. Because at the end of the day, you've got to... If you're going to build tag teams up, you've got to give tag teams at various levels a go. It doesn't mean they need to be tag, the tag team champions. But at the time, they were the only heels. They would draw heat. I got it. It gave them a bit of a boost so that when they go up against the Hardys, there's that what if factor and it's also really low risk as well because you've got the hardies who are going to go against guns like i said they are smooth in the ring the all right what they do it allows the hardies to go in there hit their greatest hits job done get jeff back on dynamite properly so interesting to see what happens there move them on to something else then it was the tnt title match wardlow versus jake hager and my sadness came back I thought for as much as these guys were trying, I'm not taking anything away from it. I thought they were really trying and did all right for what they were going for. It was just there for me. I don't have any reason to care for either of these guys. They are failing Wardlow massively. Wardlow, when he was breaking away from MJF, was cool as fuck. The guy just, we just wanted to see him freed. Then they gave him the crappy stories afterwards, which was, I think, another Mark Sterling story, which I've commented on before. The killer for anyone these days, either a Mark Sterling story or moving straight into Jeff Jarrett stories. That seems to be the 2023 version. But come on, we need to do something with Wardlow. Now, I sometimes go to this well a little bit too often, so I'd like you guys to call me out on it if it feels like I am. But I'm going to say it now. Wardlow needs a heel turn. 
I think when you get a baby face who people just cannot get behind in any way, shape or form, it can go to apathy really, really quick. And prime example of that is Roman Reigns. When they were trying to get the guy over, before they were trying, people were into Roman. They really were. And I know it might seem like a bit revisionist by some, but it they were into him. They were cheering him. Then they caught on to him again. Oh, they like him. So the machine started pushing him and they made him a little bit unbearable, the way he says things. For me, I caught on with that a little bit with Wardlow with the whole Wardlow's world thing and trying to force things. It's like, no, it just, it's a bit cringe. It's not right. And I see that with Wardlow and I don't want them to go the same route of just hating him, just for the sake of hating him because they don't like his character. The stuff with... Luchasaurus and Christian attacking Arn Anderson was great. That was really, really great. It just makes them look so bad. And Christian is evil mastermind. Adds a bit more heat to this program. But I don't think Arn Anderson does much for Wardlow. I think, like I said, Wardlow needs a heel turn. Jake Hager, literally all I know about this guy is he likes a hat. And that's it. It was just there. Wasn't really that keen on it. Then we get the announcement of Tanahashi versus MJF at Forbidden Door 2. And I'll cover all of this off now. But I thought that was a really great little promo from Tanahashi saying that MJF needs to have the title taken away from him. And really, really going for it. This is a guy who's decorated, multi-time champion, a star in Japan. A star in Japan, an absolute legend of wrestling. And one of the top people to have ever done it. And to have him say to him, Jeff, I need to take this title from you. And then we have the opposite. We have Renee go to MJF and go, hey, Tanahashi's got the match. Tony Khan's booked it. And MJF was like, nah, not happening. Refers to New Japan as an indie fed again. And then says about how it wouldn't be the first time that he's no-showed something that Tony's booked. So leaning into it a little bit. But I think this is going to be another really good match. And if you're buying this show, you're buying it for the main event. Be that Danielson and Okada or Osprey and Omega. Not sure which one's even going to main event. I would imagine the former of the two. But those matches are going to be great. They're the ones that you're probably going to be buying for. But this is just a nice additional match on there. We then get Zack Sabre Jr. interrupts Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy goes up to Renee and talks about the format of, oh, yeah, so what we're going to have now is I'm going to come up, someone's going to challenge me. And that's what happens. He gets two guys kind of been challenging him. You get Daniel Garcia coming up about challenging him because he wants to be a double champion and take the title away from Shibata as well. You've got Zack Sabre Jr. with his New Japan World title and comes up, all right, Orange Bollocks, which just was great. Um, really, really great. I think... I've come out of this going, what are we actually getting here? Are we getting a match between Zack Sabre Jr. and Orange Cassidy? Are we getting a triple threat? Is it going to be all of the titles on the line? Is it going to be just the international title on the line? Is Shibata in the mix of this as well? Because they're obviously building up to a tag match. There's so much to come on here. And I think it could, whatever they do, I think could be great. But again, much like last year, the match against Will Ospreay, I think the Orange Cassidy match has a chance of stealing the show. And while I've never been the biggest Zack Sabre Jr. fan, 
appreciate what he does, but just never really truly got into him in the way some have. I think these two could have one of the matches of the night. Speaking of matches of the night, just great matches in general, Tony Storm versus Sky Blue. Now, I was, I would want to say critical, but when Tony Storm came into AW, she felt a bit flat for me. And Tony Storm in WWE slash NXT loved, absolutely loved. I'd always heard great things about her before, but I'd never really checked out much of Stardom. I'll be upfront on that. Heard great, great things about her. I think she's still only 27 now, so it shows how long she's been around. But yeah, she was a bit flat when she first came in. I was like, oh, Tony's just lost something. She doesn't feel like she's got the confidence or the bravado. Even as a face, she had a bit of that about her. She always felt strong and had something going on. So it wasn't until she started the heel turn for me with the outcasts where that felt like it's starting to come. Every time I see her now, she has gone to... Actually, I'll correct myself there. Until she actually won the AEW Women's title. And then she joined the Outcasts after that, after losing. And then, again, just refound that form again. Just feeling like banger after banger match. And feeling confident, putting on great performances. I had no idea it was going to be her that took the title initially from Jamie Hayter. Which I think plays nicely into their story of her taking it from Tony in the first instance. And... Just how they've been doing with her has been great. Sky Blue, she is someone that they are noticeably pushing. Like, that is happening. You can see it. She's getting more and more screen time on Dynamite, on Rampage, on Ring of Honor. And what I'm really hoping is that they're now looking at the future of the division and go, what do we need to do next? One of the criticisms that Tony got was his handling of the women's division and not having a lot of people coming through, and not having a lot of matches. There seems to be a focus on the core group, but there also seems to be a secondary group of people like Sky Blue, Willow, returning Chris Statlander, Ty Valkyrie, who are almost filling into that B-level group of people. And I think you need that. So I'm hoping that he's really starting to pay attention to the future of the division, and what I'm really hoping is that with Collision coming, it's given us the opportunity to have more women's matches and have more women featured. I would like to see again more Hikaru Shida. I think she really deserves something. And I would love to see her versus Thunder Rosa, a feud between those two. I think that would be great. So if we could get that on Collision, if that could be one of the main highlights of Collision, I would love that. And in the final segment before the main event that we've already touched on... Um, was Jungle Hook having a backstage segment and Jungle Boy Jack Perry, probably one of the last times you're going to call him that, saying, I feel a bit naked next to Hook. Weird. But referencing that Hook has the FTW title and that he wants some gold of his own. He said he was going to have singles gold. He's going to get it. He's going to beat Sonada. But you know what he wants? He wants his best friend in the whole entire world, Hook out there beside him. Now, where I think this is going is either Hook is going to accidentally cause the loss or Jungle Boy is going to blame it on Hook and I think you're going to get a heel turn from Jack Perry on Hook. Now, there was obviously the reports that came out about the For the Love of Wrestling convention 
the last couple of months and people talking about Jungle Boy's attitude and how he was and stories about him and really putting some negative press out there. And part of me is wondering where they go, okay, you know what, let's lean into that a bit. It's a bit topical, let's lean into it. I don't know if that did have any play in it or whether that, or even if AEW fueled it up a little bit so when his heel turn comes, it makes people that more accepting of it when it does come. But overall, thought that was a good segment and looking forward to where the future of Jungle Boy is here. And there we have it. So like we said, the main event was the BCC versus the Elite. Again, a great match and good to see all of those builds going on. Just a really great episode of Dynamite overall. I thought there were some bits in the middle that were just there. I, I, I want to see a bit more from them, but I feel that the strong points are the real strong points of the show and they really help lift it up. So yeah, it felt like it was good. It felt like even the stuff I didn't like, it moved at a good pace and it didn't feel like it was getting all stodgy in the middle or something. And obviously throughout the show, they kept referencing Collision they would give us a rundown of the card. So looks to be some great matches on there. Be great to see Buddy Matthews versus Andrade. That's going to be a hugely great match. We're going to see the return of Miro in a match as well. Got CM Punk back in a match. Got a lot of great people around. So really looking forward to that as well. So I will be coming to you at the weekend with my coverage of that show as well. So. It'll be really great getting up on Sunday morning, sitting down, watching some more AEW and getting to speak and put it out there for you all. But that is it from me for this week with All Elite Talking. You can catch me on social media, All Elite Talking on both Instagram and on Twitter. If you'd like to send an email, you could do that to mailbag at alleletalking.com and I'll have a look and maybe even read out some emails on air if there's anything that good if there's anything good that comes through or worth a good discussion that comes through. Over the course of the coming weeks, like I said, we've got Forbidden Door coming up, so I'll also be in a Forbidden Door preview next week and talk about the matches and where I think they're gonna go and what the results are gonna be. But overall, yeah, just thank you all for listening. Thank you all for your patience in waiting for the next episode to come out and understanding why I delayed coming back to you guys, but it's full speed from here on out. I've been George, you've been Elite. Until next time.